Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. Uh, I'm Pastor Luke, and with me is... Pastor Cameron. Pastor Cameron. Uh, Welcome to the Uncut Podcast, where we try to have open, honest, and uncut conversations about faith, life, theology, church, ministry, all the things above. Um, Today, we've got an interesting and... I don't know, kind of fascinating topic that's dealing with a lot of the stuff that's been going on in um, kind of, I don't know, popular tech culture. Right. Right. Cameron, I'm sure you've seen, and probably some of our listeners have not escaped the uh, all the talk about AI and yep. chat G- GPT. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, something that is a little bit, not a little bit. A lot of it out of my wheelhouse, yeah. Or even my—I'm not going to say out of my area of interest because it is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly not something that I've considered or something that I've paid attention to. Yeah, I should say until I guess just recently, mm-hmm. where I'm starting to see a lot of the people that maybe I follow on social media or that have been influential in my life from a ministry or faith perspective, starting to talk about the advent of artificial intelligence as it makes its way or as it like relates mm-hmm. to yep. ministry mm-hmm. and pastoral ministry or worship ministry right. or faith in general. Yep. And so I feel like it's demanding a response, mm-hmm. not not because I even feel like it's imminent or like right. necessarily that it's well, it's new. It's new. No but. one's like like you don't. I mean, I'm, I bet you there's a handful of people out there right now scrambling to write uh, a theology of AI and get it published um, because there's not much out there as far as like what we have to consider for like. What is the theology of AI? What is like the Bible got to say about it? All of those kind of questions, because like it's new, right? Right? Like we don't, we can't pick up Martin Luther or Calvin or like John we can Wesley. Barely pick up Michael Frost, who's like a <laughs> a contemporary author right now, who you know, like writes right. a lot about theology and faith and mm-hmm. culture and the church, right? Yeah, and right now in our time, right. He's got a few blog articles about it, right. but so nothing that's like been substantial or has really reflected on or wrestled with the, some of the difficult questions or issues that come up with AI mm-hmm. as it pertains to ministry. Right. So, and yeah. you, I mean, like, I don't know, there may be people, I'm, I'm not going to assume that everyone yeah. <laughs> even knows what we're talking about. Right. Don't know what the, like, yeah, we should talk about like artificial intelligence, AI, right? Like is more than just like the thing like I've always been interested in AI cuz I love sci-fi, right? Terminator. The Terminator <laughs> like like <laughs> right. you know like Skynet, um HAL 2000, you know, from Space Odyssey, like all of those movies and things are stuff that I've always watched, but like um artificial intelligence, like computers that can think and kind of formulate and reformulate and kind of have the appearance of making decisions and producing something autonomously right that's uh new um we've had i I would say that like ai is not brand spanking new because it's been out like 
uh, I think it was several years ago that like chess, a chess robot, chess AI beat like a human person. Right. Um, and so, but like we weren't paying attention then because we don't care that much. No about one cares chess. about chess. Um, Sorry, chess lovers. Yeah. But. You know, so we've had artificial intelligence to some degree, but I feel like we're reaching a tipping point where AI is starting to insert itself more practically into our day-to-day life. So like within this past year, if you haven't, if you've not heard about these things, there's been the advent of AI art generators where you can type in and you can tell, you just go up to something that looks like a Google search bar and you type in uh, a painting of a family standing outside of a house that's on fire in the style of Norman Rockwell. And it will make that painting for you. Um, it looks kind of weird. Like AI art, like is kind of, if you've ever looked at any of it, uh, it struggles with making hands. It kind of creepy. And a lot of people have been really upset about AI art because it kind of seemingly steals stylistic influences from other people's art that's on the internet and things like that. Which is kind of where we want to talk about. Right. Exactly. And then you've got chat GPT, which is the big one that's made a lot of impact here because I think it reaches a bigger audience. And so like if you've got Canva um, or chat GPT, like all of these, there's a gazillion of these, but you could go in and you could say, write me a short essay about the American civil war, um, focusing on its economic impact. It would write that for you. Yeah. And, and how would it do that? Like it essentially, mm-hmm. it scrubs the internet, yeah. right? Scrubs the digital world mm-hmm. for the voices that have talked about that learns in an instant mm-hmm. all the various perspectives that have been communicated and then creates artificially but it's almost for me it's not even like artificial intelligence anymore it's like ai is more like autonomous mm. intelligence mm. like it's doing it somewhat autonomously from yeah. my perspective or your perspective it's gaining its own perspective based on the voices that are already out there yeah and it writes the essay based on what it finds mm-hmm. on the internet yeah which if you've been on the internet at all lately <laughs> does not inspire an incredible amount of confidence in its veracity accuracy is that what you're talking about yeah, yeah. or in its like bias mm-hmm. um, oh, and yeah. like who who or what controls the sources from which AI draws its information yeah does it deal with every digital source does it rank each digital source? at the same level and then discerns across the voices, what comes into its final product. Mm -hmm. So that's a, it's that's a, in essence is in as much as I understand it, which is like a sliver. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what it's doing. It scrubs the internet, gathers all the voices, collates it, develop its, its own autonomous, Mm -hmm. autonomous work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we could. I, I think you bring up an interesting point, which I don't know that we'll have a ton of time to talk about. But like the bias 
mm-hmm. of like I think we sometimes have this idea that technology is sort of a blank slate uh, that it kind of or that it's moral neutral or it's morally neutral right uh, but it does inherit things from us so like um, probably the most infamous example of this that kind of like points to how our creation of technology and technology can then carry on kind of biases uh, was back when Xbox, like I think, I don't know if it was the Xbox 360 or it was the first Xbox when they created the Connect, which was like this, like kind of like the Xbox's answer to the Wii. You could stand in front of this mm. camera and you could move around and play with the game uh, with like, it would read your face and it would see your hand movements and everything. Mm. Um, when that product released over a Christmas um, and it kind of got launched that Christmas season, a whole bunch of people bought it. And anyone who bought it who was African-American or dark-skinned found that that connect could not see or recognize them. Mm. So the technology in there, the software hadn't been programmed. They'd never had tested it really to differentiate. To be different, multicultural or multi- Multicultural, racial, yeah. different skin tones. And so mm. it was like an example of technology having a flaw – because of an oversight or an overlook or or a bias in the production team. Gotcha. And so that's a somewhat harmless example, kind of, but it's also uh, it's an example in that like technology continues to carry forth how we build it. Right. So just a, that's a yeah, yeah, that's a whole Right. It's indicative. It's not a new problem. No. In the sense that it's reproducing what it is experiencing from its designers or production. Right. And so it, while it may be artificial, it's kind of not at the same time. Right. There is still some, something of us, something of us is is in it being carried through with that. Right. Yeah. So we thought we would take kind of this. I found a, found a YouTube video, um, and it's we've got this. Uh, um, I I can't. I'll have to look at the video to remember his name. But I, I remember his channel. It's um, the ten minute. Oh, it's the what is it? The ten minute Bible hour. Let's see here. Pulling up this video here. It's Matt Whitman. Yes, is his name. Hey, my name's Matt. Yeah, Matt Whitman on YouTube. And so he made this video where he took. Um, he wanted to compare and see if you could make a differentiation between sermons that were written with AI versus sermons that a sermon that he wrote. And so, and he is, is he a seminary grad? Uh, I think so. He, he, he makes a lot of like Bible study and Bible focused content, um, on his channel. And so he's, um, I don't know exactly what his involvement is in ministry, but he, Essentially, he has two or has two different AIs write two sermons, and then he seeks to write a sermon, and then presents those, and then kind of challenges you in the video to see if you can differentiate. So I've already seen the video, Cameron. You have not watched the video, correct? So we're going to kind of uh, pause here for a second. There'll be a bit of a, a gap here. We're going to not show the whole video in its con- 
in its link here, but we'll link it in our show notes and at the bottom in the description of our video. Um, so you can watch it yourself. If you want to pause, go watch that video and come back, or you can just keep listening and then you'll hear our reaction and kind of our description of it after we've watched it. Right. Yeah. And certainly like even on the original video, I'm just scrolling through the comment section is always an interesting place to go. Yeah. If you're really bored. Right. <laughs> and these ones, at least the top comments seem to be to be pretty insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so why don't we, we'll take a minute here and we'll watch this video. And uh, if you want to pause and watch the, go watch the video yep. as well. We have some context for the conversation that we have yep. after. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So okay. we have watched it like, and that right. was my first time watching the video. Yeah. I, I watched it maybe a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I, um, I, we've paused it at the seven minute mark. Yeah. So he's read all three mm-hmm. mini sermons. Yes. Randomized the order. So we don't know which one is which. And then, Essentially asking, okay, now which one? Which one did he write? Which one's the original, and which? And which ones did the AIs write? Right. I mean, it seems really clear to me that the third one is his, mm-hmm. and uh, I could go into the uh, like just reflectively. It sounded like, or it felt like, you know, that the third mini sermon mm-hmm. was um, full of more it was it had more it had a more imaginative process mm-hmm. by which it s- told the story yeah and how it and how it came to the places of theological insight and application mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't just come right out and say this is what happened. This is what it means. Yep. Go and do it. Right. It was more, it drew the listener into a, a more creative process. Mm-hmm. It told a story better. Mm-hmm. It like had a hook at the beginning. It referenced the scripture close to the beginning. Yep. And then it expounded upon its... Mm-hmm contextual and theological meaning and then brought application to the points at the end and then wrapped it all the way back around to the beginning of the first main intro the hook yep sermon at the little mini sermon three is the one that i also when i was watching the video for the first time it's also the one that i said i think that is his yeah um it has more tangential statements that are not that are indirectly applied. So like, I think there's a moment in there where he talks about um, all of the work that Jesus had been doing in his ministry. Jesus had been doing this, 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 this. Right. And I was like, Oh, well that is not like, that is not directly in the text and not directly to the point, but it serves. It's contextually tangential. Right. But if you had someone or something that was simply writing a message based on the text itself. Yeah. It's not necessarily self-evident mm-hmm. within the text. Yeah. So, okay. Let's I'm going to restart the video here and see you know if we were right. Okay. You know if we were right or not cuz you've watched it but I don't. So I think we were right. I think I've been doing this long enough now. All right. Well, so we 
we watched the rest of that video by Matt Whitman. So I think it bears mentioning just that, like, I think he did a fairly decent job of making the video and presenting an interesting idea and concept of. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. him. So Matt, if you somehow end up watching this. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for like, the good, uh, yeah. the good info here to, or the, the content to, to talk about. I think it brings up, I had a lot of thoughts running through my head as that was all going. Um, try to write some of them down, maybe that we could talk about. Yeah. Some of it's really specific in nature. Mm-hmm. Well, we should probably say, did we guess right? We did guess right. We did. Yeah. So the, the third mm-hmm. one was the the one that he wrote. Right. I, I, I remember upon wa- watching it, I did, when he read the first sermon, I was like, oh, that could be, that could be him. The second one, I was like, no, that was definitely AI. Heard the third one, and I was like, yeah, that's the one he wrote. Yeah. Um, it was, I don't know if it was just because, I don't know if it was, I don't know, it was really clear to me. Yeah. Reading or hearing all three, which one was. After all three, or like even as the process, even as he read the first one, you were just like, ah, there's no way. As he started like reading the second one, look, because I've never heard him preach or right, anything like that. Neither. I've never watched it, so I didn't have any like any comparative analysis to, as to previous work that he had done. Right. But once he started reading the second one, it had the same opening spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It had the same spirit yeah, to yeah, it, yeah, which was not one of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Or not one of like you could. There was no. Uh, maybe we can flesh out th- these things even a little bit. There was no heart to it. Yeah. It was. It was as if you were reading an informational pamphlet mm-hmm. about the scripture. Yeah. The. I guess this is maybe the way I would describe the two AI sermons is they felt like throw away not like like I think the general points that they make are generally fine. Yeah. I'd like like yeah. yeah. So but I so I don't mean throw away as in that, but they felt generically and they felt so generic as to feel like kind of the type of religious statements that are said at like political or social rallies and like gatherings where there's kind of a, a a general sense of wanting to not wanting to not dive deep into the Bible. Very vanilla. Very vanilla. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very vanilla. Um not yeah, I like I would maybe need to re-listen to them and I would probably have to be really nitpicky about the two, but there wasn't anything there was nothing that I heard that immediately struck me as like, oh, that's like a really incorrect way of reading that text or an improper application Mm -hmm. or theological principle that you're like, no, it was pretty like, okay, like you, I mean, I don't say this pejoratively, but like, okay, you're a freshman at Bible college and you're just learning to preach. Yep. Like it was simple. Yeah. Not not anything special or inspiring, but not anything that was like, oh my gosh, 
like don't ever approach a pulpit again. Yeah. Kind of declarative. Like it didn't do yes. anything to move us from point A to point B. It simply just said, this is the text. Here's the pamphlet and the text. This is the idea. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I think like we could get, there's lots of, lots of things that we could do with this. Oh gosh. Yeah. I guess the question that I would want to pose as the primary question, well, I don't know. It we could talk about the whether or not AI should be used in this way. Yeah. And or we could use it as an opportunity to talk about what is preaching. Yeah. Mhm. Like cuz if the point here was to have three sermons written, see which one is the best. Right. Or not even the best, but like see if you could tell the difference. It makes me it begs the question, what what is the purpose? What is the point? What is the both the content and the spirit of the act of Mm-hmm. And many people will say the art of, or maybe even going a little bit deep, more deep, the gifting mm-hmm. of preacher, yeah, or preaching, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, how like how would you begin to like how would you begin to pull pull well, that apart? Man, well, like there's an interesting, you know, it would be interesting, even more interesting. If we hadn't been able to tell, if we had watched the video and we were just like absolutely flabbergasted, we like could not tell the difference between the three Um, because I think that forces us to come directly to the question, right? Like, so we could say, oh, well, it's like close, but not quite right. And so like, we can like, is there a fundamental difference let's say let's say in like a handful of years ai progresses which arguably it might and will it gets to a point where it's indistinguishable well that was that was kind of my that was one of the questions i had is like okay it's easy to tell the difference now but it would be really interesting if in a year from now right matt went back mm-hmm. and asked chat gpt the same question yeah because the method that AI uses to right. create the content necessitates that it's ever evolving and ever learning. More iterations, right. more content it consumes, the more it's able to replicate, uh, replicate. genuine human yes. intelligence. Right. And so that would force the question of, cause like right now we could say we could kind of, ah, uh, you can kind of tell uh, things like that. But if there was no functional difference, no aesthetic difference between them, what does it does it is there something different that's happening when a sermon is delivered that was written entirely by AI or even partially by AI versus a sermon written by a pastor who like studied the word and was in prayer when he did it? I would say absolutely. Yeah, I would too. But but why? Why? Right. Maybe that's, we need to clarify that's the that. Because I think 
And then from there, I think we can trickle down into some of these, like the applications of that. Yeah. So I would say, I would say there's a few things and these are not in order of importance. Mm -hmm. Like as a, as a man who like generally has written a sermon a week for the last right. 19 years. Yeah. Um, like every preacher generally has their own process. Yep. And <clears throat> and their own voice. And their own voice. Like you can if if you and I wrote sermons on the same topic. People would be able to probably judge which one. Probably. If they had a familiarity with us. Yeah. Um so the the ways in which a sermon is created or the factors that go into the writing of a sermon uh, there's a few of them, or a few questions that I have, and like I said, these are not in order of importance or priority, mm-hmm. but um, like what I what I first heard, we mentioned this already. What I first heard in the AI sermons was what a- appeared to me to be like a informational, an informational approach to. Mm-hmm the exposition of a text. Yeah. And when I say exposition of a text, what I'm meaning is like they're, they're proclaiming, explaining, speaking about and towards a specific biblical text. Yeah. Right. And so when you came to that text, it felt really clear that there was no insight towards the text or with the text that was deeper than you would get from, like I said, an informational pamphlet. Right. What is what is what what appears on the surface of the water. Yes. Like if if preaching is a is a deep pool, mm-hmm. right? It hit what would be on the surface of the water, but did not dive right. into anything that was there. And so the the question there that comes out for me is what is the nature of what is the nature of information gathering that happens in the art or the gift of preaching mm-hmm. like when you and I would preach right you know? right because there certainly is an aspect of it totally. where there's information that must be or that should be communicated. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, so like, for example, like maybe to highlight this is if you and I were assigned the same passage, we were just given a passage and we would say, write a sermon on it. And particularly if that passage is, let's say, say it's a chapter out of a gospel, Mm -hmm. right? Your main point of your, of the sermon and applications would likely deviate from my... They would not align necessarily. We might find similarities in our sermons, mm-hmm. right? Um, and But we would find that they're probably different. And the reason being is because we would... Like, we would be being... We would be highlighting different portions of the text. Well, we bring to the text our own experience. Yeah. That's, it's a, that's an... Imp- that's not something that you can generally avoid. And I don't think that it's something that as preachers, God is 
wanting us to stay away from no it you know, doesn't want us to be blank slates we bring our experiences right. we bring our context we right. bring our approach or our background yeah we even bring our biases right to a text and so similar to the way that why we have four different tellings of the story of jesus the life of jesus in the gospels we would have right two different approaches yeah. that maybe followed a similar route maybe but not weren't necessarily right you might choose to highlight a particular verse, and I might choose to highlight a different one, and we're making a discernment process in that. We're deciding which of these pass- verses inside of this passage, excuse me, we feel like is most important to highlight. Mm-hmm. And then if we were to even go a little bit different, like if we're if you're preaching to like say a youth group, and I'm preaching at like a men's retreat. And it's the same passage, it's going to be different how we preach it because the congregation or the audience that we're preaching to is different. Well, that was another one of my points. So, yeah, is that like, you know, it, there's the there's the informational approach, mm-hmm. which is what I feel like AI did. Mm-hmm. They grabbed the information, they maybe reformulated it somewhat creatively, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. There was no abstraction. There was no nuance. There was no storytelling. It was just a, here it is, yeah. you know, vanilla for you. But you're exactly right, is that when you would go to, as a preacher, when we would go to um, preach something or prepare to preach something, it would be with a particular audience yeah. in mind. Very rarely, very rarely right. would the preaching would the preparation necessitate a general recipient? Yes. Where it was like, I don't know who's going to hear this. It doesn't really matter. Right. Because it doesn't change what I'm going to say. Yeah. We call it We call it the ability to read the room. Yeah. Can you yeah. read the room that you're in? Right. Because you might, you might prepare and preach a sermon that is – that is completely genuine to the text, very well done, mm-hmm. good orthodox theology, but that sits on the high scale of like academic imbalance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that may be appropriate for a seminary chapel, yep. a college chapel, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you might be, like you said, you might be preparing to teach it to your sixth grade Sunday school class mm-hmm. and being able to read the room, mm-hmm. know who you're, know who you're preaching to is incredibly important. I think especially in the life of a, of a pastor who is generally charged with shepherding the souls of individual people. Yeah. Yes. Like I can bring, I can bring a guest pastor in here and have them go up on stage, stand in the same place that I stand, use the same pulpit that I preach from, and have them preach a sermon. But they, there is no way that they would have their finger on right. the barometer of the room yep. like I would have. Yep. Because the same people I'm in relationship with, I'm toiling in the spirit. For their shepherding and their salvation and their discipleship and their growth. 
And when I approach the word in order to prepare to preach it, mm-hmm. I have them in mind. Yeah. Well, it's like it like really I think this was maybe three three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I think we were at the beginning of a service, and I think we both of you and I were picking up on the same sense that there was a lot of people who were going through some heavy stuff in the congregation. Mm-hmm. And we totally sidelined yep. everything that we had kind of planned. You yep. you totally paused on starting your sermon and had a whole little sermonette at the beginning. And that was all pastorally motivated. Yep. Um, and you're I and, I, and just because I know how you preach, I know that you are often up there as you're preaching, making editorial decisions on what you're going to say, how 100%. you're going to say it. Because yep. you're 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 aware of what's who's in the room, what's going on in their lives. You're aware of how people are responding, right? Like if you hit a point and you're like, and that that felt like in your spirit, like like the spirit of God testified to my spirit like a don't move from this point right stay here right go deeper yes Mm -hmm. which is the like kind of semi third question that Mm -hmm. i have here is like and it's not i'm not saying this in a snarky manner at all i don't think that the ai preacher stopped to Pray that the Spirit of God right. would reveal the truth mm-hmm. of God's word into his heart. Yeah. So that he then could become a vessel for that truth to be proclaimed over the people. Yes. Yeah. Which is if you were to give me or if you were to give me the task of stating a theology of preaching mm-hmm. or a purpose of preaching in the preacher that's I don't, I don't know that i could create a better one which would yeah. be that i go before the spirit of god to ask the spirit of god to reveal the truth and wisdom of god's word and in particular this particular passage or this particular text or idea or whatever mm-hmm to testify and reveal that truth to my heart. And it just so happens or not just so happens, but like I've done the academic educational experiential work to have some context built into that, like some wisdom around some of those passages Mm -hmm. as well so that I then can proclaim the truth of God's word revealed to me by the spirit of God yeah. to the people of God. It's not, it's not a derivation of Cameron's wisdom mm-hmm. or opinions or even my own heart. Yeah. And that is a constant it's a, battle uh, yeah, any, and struggle. Any, any pastor worth his salt should be committed to explaining and preaching God's Word, word and truth right not their opinion or preference right which is <laughs> is that like a whole bag of worms right That's there triggering yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little triggered on that yeah, one yeah 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 um absolutely mm-hmm. uh it's no there's no secret that there are 
pastors, preachers who have particular drums that they want to personally beat mm-hmm. and that they that their congregations are unwitting listeners to them abdicating and abandoning the spirit-led role of preacher. Mm-hmm. And and they will answer for that. Yeah. They will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a constant check, 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 right. check. And it becomes this interplay of like hearing from the spirit right. and discerning sometimes even in real time mm-hmm. what is coming. Is this is this me? Yep. Is this the spirit? And that's not always clearly definable for people. Yeah. Especially when what the spirit desires to communicate through the proclamation of his word may be difficult for people mm-hmm. who are sitting under underneath it to hear. Because it's very easy to harden our heart and rebel to the proclamation of the word that brings conviction into our hearts. And we automatically place the blame on the preacher for saying the thing. Yeah. Whereas like any preacher worth his salt being a, a conduit of God, or God's spirit and proclaimed truth, right, would would see that or or know and believe mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So. You know, this this brings like an interesting thought to my head is that not everybody like you and I might not conceive of preaching as a actively intimate and dynamically holy spirit led piece of church or part of church or act. I think like I'm sitting here and I'm thinking as you're talking and I'm like you know, I think, I, I don't want to say 100% of the time, because I don't know if we do 100% of the time, but I'd say almost all of the time, when we are praying for each other uh, prior to the service or um, in in service when one of us is bringing the other up to pray, I think we almost always are praying for the Holy Spirit to do something. Yes. Not praying for praying for the Holy Spirit to be doing something in the listeners, praying for the Holy Spirit to be doing something in the preacher. Um, I think almost always. Um, And that might be something that is blatantly obvious to our presupposition of understanding what preaching is. Preaching is not me trying to be winsome or um, preaching is not a, like a, pastor and holy bible endeavor it's a pastor holy bible and holy spirit yes. endeavor right and ultimately like without the spirit like you know uh falls flat i don't know if that's like a i don't know i, I guess i'm kind of just wondering out loud if that's blatantly obvious to other people as it is maybe to even our own understanding of what preaching is i don't think that it is no i don't think that it's blatantly obvious because mm-hmm. you will I think for me, it begs the question on how we can, as people, have preferences for who we like to listen to preaching. Hmm. 
because we do we do elevate yes preachers we we do make comments like they they're the best preacher in America right yeah like if we if we were to ask who's the best preacher in America you and I could probably come up with a short list of 5 that if we were to just randomly poll people, they would say at least one of those five, depending on which kind of bent they had. Yeah. Or if you are attend a church where there's a teaching team, mm-hmm. and that teaching team, they publish who's preaching what sermon, and then you can then you can track attendance based on who's preaching. Yeah. It shows, I think that there is some preference for personality within preaching. Yeah. Now you could take that many different ways. Right. And you could say, well, it just goes to show that some people have more of a gift. And I'm not I'm not going to argue that there are there are or aren't people who are extraordinarily gifted at the art of preaching. Mhm. But I, I will argue with I will argue against the idea that it's only the charismatic storytellers of scripture yeah. that that channel the authentic spirit of God in the proclamation of the preaching. Right. If it's done in a faithful manner. Yes. And so it it's tr- it's tricky. Mm-hmm. It's tricky because as do I want people to want to hear my preaching? Duh. Right, we want to do a good job. I want to do a good job. I want to be known as an excellent preacher. Mm-hmm. I also do not want to be known as an excellent preacher. Right. I want to. I want people. To experience the life-changing power of the gospel as it's proclaimed in their lives and as they believe it by faith and repent of their sin and trust and follow Jesus with their lives, that's what I want. Now, faith comes by hearing Hearing. the word of God, Yep. right? So how can they believe if they have not heard? So they must hear. How do I consistently elevate the art and the act of preaching and the spirit of God within the preaching while simultaneously taking a spirit or a posture of abject humility as the one bringing it? Yes. is a dynamic that we must always wrestle with. Mm-hmm. And I think almost like, not almost, we must self-impose a posture of humility. Yeah. Because people will naturally elevate the preference, preferential style of a pastor yep. to the detriment of the proclamation of the truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to do that in a non-self-flagellation like way <laughs> where you get up on a Sunday morning and you're like, I'm an idiot – I have nothing to offer. I am not smart at all. Which is not true. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> like, 
like we, you, you and I both study. We work hard on our sermons. Yes. Like, um, it, it's interesting because like the act of preaching a sermon is it reflects the nature of the Bible of being both a book written by God and a book written by yes. people. It's kind of yes. got this like you cannot extract from the sermon the preacher. Um, but if you only have a preacher and you don't have the spirit of God, you don't have a sermon. Which is AI. Which is AI. Exactly. It kind of brings us back to that. I will say, like, um, you and I, like, we've we've thought we've listened to a lot of sermons. Like a heck of a lot. And we've thought about sermons not just in like a passive way, but in a like a very critical way. Like like the technicalities of how you say a thing, the order you say a thing, how you stand when you say a thing, the hand gestures. Like I like we I could talk someone's ear off about like we, we have dissected absolutely every angle of preaching that you can possibly dissect. Yes. Like it like and it's actually like, you know, just as a personal note, like it made it, it for season really made it hard for me to listen to sermons. Because all I could see was all of the technical things going into it. I was like, oh, they shouldn't have said it that way, or they should not have done that. They should have done this instead. And so I I bring that up to simply to say is that um, probably your favorite preacher, like we could probably critique. Like, oh, yeah, I can think I can think of one uh, particular, like well-known, one of the top preachers in the United States who is actually pretty bad with filler words um, and is really bad at writing introductions. Um, they're usually clunky and they're, they usually meander and kind of lose people's interest. But people like I've been in from, from his sermon. <laughs> we could, fu- we could probably fight over who's the better preacher, who like the best preachers in America. Or right, we probably could, we could yeah. probably, you know, but like, I like, he's a great preacher because and a lot of people benefit from his preaching I've benefited from his preaching from tangentially and all of that. But technically, like the technicalities of how he sometimes preaches, I'm like, that is a really bad introduction to the sermon. Or he is using a whole lot of filler words right now. Like Which is interesting because who has developed the standards of technicality for preaching? Mm-hmm. We have. Humanity has, yeah, right. Fallen, sinful, you know, preaching is our idea, not God's type of thing. Yeah, like, and we'll we'll create. We take class. There's you can get a doctorate in preaching. I know. You know. Yeah. It sounds fun. It, I know. I kind of it, be tempted to right, do one. Sound, <laughs> me too. Like it sounds fun, mm-hmm. but there is yeah you you can dissect it down to the point where it becomes now a scientific exercise rather than a spirit inspired demonstration of your gift. Yep. Now that is not to say which which everything is nuanced, right? It's not black or white. You know, this is kind of like a it's a it can become a gray conversation because I want to get better mm-hmm. as a technical preacher. Yeah. As for example, I am usually an outline style preacher that hand writes my sermon notes because I can follow them mm-hmm. more easily. 
recently, I've become more aware of my like, my like, <laughs> and my ums, <laughs> and my uhs in preaching, and have wondered how a different approach to the final copy of my sermon would produce either a better or worse or more clunky or more fluid or more clear proclamation. And so this past Sunday, I did something that I've not done probably since the first couple of years of ministry, which is I completely manuscripted my sermon and I typed it out. Mm -hmm. Which is what I normally do. That's my preferred method of prep. And I, and I, used the manuscript, not even an outline of my manuscript. I used the manuscript itself to preach from. Hmm. Now, I have not gone back to listen to that sermon in comparison to a sermon that I do in my normal style, but early reports coming in are that it was more clear, Hmm. it felt more focused, and it was less tangential, yep. but it was still you. It was still like in your voice. Yeah. So it there, there's the necessity, I think, as men who want to do an excellent job at the extraordinarily heavy task that the Lord has given to us to do it as best as possible. Because the it's often, you know, it's often thrown around that, oh, you know, like God is going to hold me accountable for every word that I say. Like everyone says that. Yeah. Right. Where that may be, that's not abundantly clear. In scripture, but what is abundantly clear in scripture that those who presume to teach the word of God to others um, will sit in a seat of judgment over the words that have been said from their mouths that is a lot heavier yeah. than others have. Well, because the in the act of preaching is the assumption that we're saying, Thus saith, Thus saith the Lord. The Lord. Right? Like when I say, like, this is what God wants you to do, that is a particularly strong statement to be making, to be saying, like, this is what I believe God clearly has said in his word. And what I believe God is particularly saying to you in this moment based on that, and thus saith, right? Like, that, that, if to do that negligently or flippantly, um, you know, like, it's an eternally dangerous thing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weighty task because like what we say about God and how we conceive and preach like, informs how people live their lives and their spirituality. And if if you and I were to get up and to consistently preach that God was nothing more than an angry guy in the sky like just apps like always like that like you know god is just absolutely 
furious and angry, right? We kind of talked about some of this like in the last episode about shame. If we were to continually preach in a way that induced shame, right? Because that was how we, like for one reason or another, that's how we conceived of God. That's impacting how people pray to God. That's impacting how they like talk about God to others. Like it's shaping and forming their whole worldview. Now, I don't believe that that's an accurate representation of what the Bible shows, right? Like we're not just creating God how we want him to be. Our job is to look at the whole scope of the Bible and try and represent that well, right? But like that's a weighty task and like to even to to check ourselves. Um, But I'm curious, um, what would you say to... Like, even the, I guess, like, well, like, I guess, do we talk about preachers who don't use their own sermons? Like, we, we are exactly on the same uh, wavelength, I mean, because yeah, like, the last question that I have is, are preachers who use these sermons, like, are they accountable for them? Yeah. You know, or, like, what is the... How should we approach that issue of now? Because like this, I is, don't know. You th- know, like this is like a this is an issue that pops up every, like I guess like every couple years, somebody publicly, someone is big enough and well known enough to get publicly called out for preaching other pastors' sermons. Yep. They, they like, I think that happened maybe a year, year and a half ago. Um, I can't remember exactly who it was. It was, it was down south. I think it was associated with some denomination. And they had like the same uh, main point, same outline as somebody else's, and even used the same illustration. And there was a whole lot of back and forth over as to whether or not that was justified. And then that, you know, brought the conversation back up. But it happens every couple years. Somebody gets found out for not preaching an original sermon uh, that they are present, but they are presenting it, which yeah, I think is original. a very key key distinction, right. right? Where you show up on Sunday, it is assumed that what you are saying is what you wrote, or your or is your actual words. But there may be reading or copying and copying pasting from you know, some famous pastor and they've just downloaded his manuscript and essentially copied it. And like, that is the current iteration of it. I think the future iteration of that problem will probably be pastors showing up with sermons generated like, by... Like, oh, I had a super busy week, lots of pastoral care, lots of meetings, didn't have enough time to write my sermon. Hey, chat GPT, can yeah. you write me a sermon really quick on this scripture? Because I was too busy to do it myself this week. Yeah, or even even like pacing it out, like like um, piecemealing it. Mm. Like you could say, like write me um, a couple paragraphs on this, and then just inserting it into the rest of your sermon. Like I could see pastors doing that. Like like if someone really wanted to kind of like use the shortcut, but kind of not maybe get caught. Or maybe wanted to, yeah. or or maybe this just attribute more positive intentions. Like they just wanted to supplement what they're doing. 
Yeah, I could see that as a reasonable practice because mm-hmm. it's not – I don't think it's substantively different than what we would do reading commentaries, reading books on issues mm-hmm. or on sermons or on topics or texts or something like that. You know, like we're we're developing or filling content – not filling – not like fluff content. Sure. But like we're – we have an idea. We have a direction. We need to maybe explore what has been said, how this has been processed through by other, yeah. you know, men and women who are digging into the word of God. So, yeah, I, I think that I don't know that there's a humongous difference there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for someone to take someone else's sermon, preach it as their own, feels to me to be, uh, I guess, the generous term that I would use is disingenuous. Mm-hmm. I think that it, I think that it does not address some of the questions that we've had about the factors of preaching, like being able to read the room, mm-hmm. asking the Holy Spirit of God to reveal the truth of God's word so you can pr- proclaim it over your people. Now, does it cease to be the truth of God's word if it was originally proclaimed over a congregation in Atlanta and now is being proclaimed over a con- congregation in Jamestown? Right. No, it doesn't cease to be God's word. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even cease to be true. Right. I just wonder, like, whether it's responsible to the calling that you've received as a pastor mm-hmm. to search the scripture, to search the heart of God, right. and to prepare something for your people. And so, would we say something similar, or is there any difference? I don't, I don't, I don't think there is. If I just generated carte blanche the entire sermon from Chat GPT. I would say that's worse. You'd say that's worse. I would say it's worse. I, I could see that. Yeah. I would say it's worse right. because there's like, now you know that there is like no, there there is no petitioning the spirit for the content even. Yeah. At least maybe if you were to steal someone else's sermon and preach it for yourself, you could operate for your conscience sake under the assumption that they did the hard work of praying for the Spirit's revelation mm-hmm. and that you're just a secondary, you're just a secondary conduit for that sure. revelation. Yeah. But when you have, when you have some like software program mm-hmm. scrubbing the internet yeah. to get you content, then um, that's a, that's a big stinking no yeah for me yeah yeah i i think there is something to i I guess i want to point something out or or like bring a little bit of something we it's not common practice anymore but in some church traditions and historically would not have been out of the ordinary or perceived as wrong or disingenuous for a local pastor of a parish or a church congregation to pull out a book of sermons and to read a pre-written sermon that somebody wrote. But the uh, but it was always kind of it was 
well, it, what, there was no pretense as this is the sermon I wrote. It was like, I'm going to read a sermon from so-and-so on this book. I've ran across that in some... Have you really? I've never experienced that. Yeah. Not like... It doesn't happen now. Okay. Um, but like in some books that I've read, I've ran across like that was how some sermons were delivered in like... It wasn't like a all the time thing, but that was how some sermons were delivered is like, here's a book of sermons. Just read the sermon that somebody prayerfully, you know, crafted and was, you know, put into this, into this book. Um so I mean, it, it makes me it make it, <laughs> it makes me wonder if we should dive down the rabbit hole of like the Book of Common Prayer, <laughs> or, or like prayers. Yeah. Oh, I think there's I think there's a ton of value there. Yeah. Right. So I so I guess my own my own thing is to say is that like I I am not so closed off to the idea that somebody could bring a sermon and say like I. I didn't write this, but this I think is pertinent to us now, and I want to just simply deliver this sermon to you, yeah. right? I would be much more generous of that, right? Like um, because of the honesty, forthrightness, and clarity with what's ha- that's being conducted there, yeah. right? Versus the sort of what you you said you said the word disingenuousness of just coming up there, not explicitly saying this is what I wrote, but also not clearly explicitly saying. I'm just reading somebody else's words, right? Leaving the assumption because anyone who walks into Sunday service is assuming that the pastor wrote what they are saying. Like in most cases, yeah, yeah, like right. that wouldn't be the assumption. No. Um, so I think it's disingenuous to not preface that. But anyways, so yeah. that was just a little small yeah. side tangent that I thought was worth maybe. I don't know, just mentioning out of I, curiosity. Yeah, I, I, sake. Can, I agree. I yeah. agree with that. You know, like, and I've, I think we've, I know that I've used, although I can't recall at this point, but like, I can see myself using snippets of sermons that you find on YouTube to, as conversation starters, you know, you post a snippet on, to your Instagram stories or, you know, whatever. And like, like, oh yeah, that's just, that's an insightful like word from the Lord there. Mm -hmm. We use quotes. Right. Right? Like, yeah. you know, so, like, I don't want to completely dismiss that, right? And yeah. and I'm partial to prayer books and things like yep. that with pre-written well, prayers. Well, I am too. And, and, like, geez, uh, I'm pretty sure that Jesus gave his disciples a canned prayer. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like, you could make that argument mm-hmm. that Jesus was like, okay, pray like this. Mm-hmm. So are we to take that as a, right, disingenuous way of praying because... Jesus said to pray this way. Right. Yeah, right. I don't know if I'd go there. No. So. Yeah. Like I don't think there's. I don't think you can go wrong in saying the Lord's no. prayer. No. Um. But. So I guess like that kind of all. I don't know. I feel like that kind of wraps up yep. the topic as it kind of stands a little bit. We've kind of explored some of the practical implications of AI as it comes to kind of particularly preaching in general. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'd be interested to hear, you know, if you're watching or you're listening, um, what your thoughts are. Yeah. You know, if you, or whatever platform that you're using, if, you know, if there's a comment comment function on there, I'd um, love to hear your thoughts on that. If you uh, are listening, uh, why don't you please go over to Matt Thornton's uh, YouTube channel. We'll make sure that the link for that particular video is in the notes yep, and up we'll on the screen. 
so that you can go and um, you know thank him for the the podcast starter over here. Yeah. Um, and uh, as always, you know we're wanting to do mailbag episodes yep. of this podcast, and so encourage you to send in your your questions and or your topics. Yep. That have really to do with anything. We've I think we've gotten a few questions in so far, but yep. we want to have a, a good bank of those, not knowing how long it'll take us to get through uh, each one. Yep. And we'll create a mailbag episode here sometime in the future. But the best way to do that is to text them to us, actually. So we have yes. a texting line that you can text your questions or topics into, and that texting line is 716-201-0507. And if you don't if you don't see your question up on a mailbag episode in like the very next episode, we're we're kind of banking a lot of those so we can do one big episode. Yeah. So, yep. Um, as always, we appreciate you listening yep. and uh, exploring these things with us. This is the uncut podcast that where we don't really we decided what we were going to talk about today with zero preparation and decided on the topic about minutes before we turn on the microphones so yeah. uh like like this episode wherever you're uh, listening to it um subscribe if you haven't yet share it with your friends on social media and we will talk to you the next time out thanks a lot